What's up, everybody? I'm Jasmine Nicole, and you are listening to Seasoned Crime, a true crime podcast where I come on and I tell you a story about a minority. How's everybody doing this week? I am about to get ready to move, so that has completely taken over my life and preparing for all of that. Um, and on top of that, it's like 2,000 degrees every day here in Texas. So literally just walking from your house to your car is draining at this point. I've lived in Texas all my life and there is no way you can tell me that this is the same heat that has been here since I was a child. Like there's no way. It's brutal outside. And it's summertime. So like a part of you wants to get out and enjoy the sun and enjoy the summer because we know it doesn't last forever. But at the same time, like. It's so hard to even enjoy it because of how bad this heat is. Like, we've consistently been over 100 degrees um, in the three digits for, I mean, days at a time. If we haven't been at 100, we're at like 98, 99. So, it's bad out here. This is definitely two-a-day showers. You wake up, take a shower, and then when you, as soon as you get home from being outside, you have to take another shower. It doesn't matter how long you were outside, what you were doing just the instant sweat that attacks your body when you just walk out the door is means for another shower when you get back in the house. Texas is not for the week right now. Uh, With that, Juneteenth and Father's Day has also just passed, so I hope that all of you enjoyed the fathers in your life, and for my fellow Black people, I hope you took a moment to recognize that we are here right now living our ancestors' wildest dreams. I know it doesn't always feel like that and we are nowhere near where we should be, but we're not in the chains either. So today's story I got is a current event story. I do not have a full ending for you because this story is actively happening right now, so much so that there has not yet even been a trial for this case. So I'm going to tell you as much as I can and as much as I know. I am fully aware that there are going to be multiple opinions on this case, so I just want to tell you the facts, and then, of course, I mean, let's be real, it's my podcast, so I'm going to let you know how I feel about it, too, at the end. Before I get started, I do want to tell you a bit about my personal mental state with stories like this. I am going to put a trigger warning here, and I'm going to say that this is a story about a white cop that shot a black man during a traffic stop. It literally just happened a couple months ago. I agree that it is extremely important for stories like this to be spoken out about. For one reason is because so police are aware that no longer are people just sitting back and turning a blind eye to things just because you're a cop or you're an officer of the law. Because a lot of times when these stories aren't told and when they're not put in front of people's faces, nothing happens. Officers could literally get away with whatever and do whatever to whoever and there'd be no consequences because, I mean, when it comes to just a matter of word, people are automatically going to take the police officer's word over that of a quote-unquote criminal. The public outcry and the opinions that have been caused by 
stories like this are the reason that a lot of these situations have even been brought to light. When it comes to me personally, I will say that I cannot physically or mentally bring myself to watch these actual videos, these body cam videos that are taken. I can't watch them. If I remember correctly, the last video that I did watch was that of Philando Castile. Um, since then, I have, I, I mean, to date, I still have never seen the actual video of the George Floyd murder. And I have no plans of seeing it ever at all. I, I can't, um, I, I can't watch it. I've, I've seen the stills. Obviously, you know, I'm not living under a rock. I know exactly what happened. Um, but I don't have to see the video to feel the emotion and the pain and the hurt and the outcry is just as real. Even if I never, if I can go the rest of my life without ever seeing something like that again. So with that being said, I will say that for today's story, there is body cam footage that was released, but I didn't watch it. I did my research, obviously, but I it just didn't see the video. So I there may be things that I won't be able to specifically speak to if those things were not found in my research. Um, but I will say if you would like to watch it for yourself or if you would like to corroborate what I, the story I'm going to tell you, I'm sure all you have to do is Google it and you're going to find the video. Today, the story I have for you is about Patrick Loya. Patrick Loya was a 26-year-old native of the Dominican Republic of Condo. Him and his family migrated to the United States about seven years ago. He's living in Michigan, and he is the father of two. On April 4th, 2022, just a few months ago, Patrick was driving through the Grand Rapids area in a Nissan. Officer Christopher Schur, who I will refer to in the story as Chris, a seven-year veteran of the Grand Rapids Police Department, was also riding out around that same time. Chris noticed a vehicle driving at a suspiciously slow speed, and it caught his attention. Now, it wasn't just because the vehicle was moving slowly, but the vehicle also matched the description of a vehicle that had recently been reported as stolen. These things prompted Chris to run the plates on the vehicle to see if his suspicions that this was a stolen vehicle was true. And the plates did come back as not matching those that should have been on the car, so he turned his lights on, preparing to pull the vehicle over for a stop to figure out exactly what was going on here. Um, some of the research that I did find in this case said that it turned out that the vehicle just hadn't yet been registered or the registration was um, expired. That part I cannot fully confirm, but what I can confirm is that the plates didn't match what should have been on the vehicle. That's all I can say. So soon after both vehicles stopped, Patrick took off. When Patrick fled, Chris took off after him trying to get him back. Again, just pointing it out, I haven't seen the video, but I will say that most of the description of what I'm about to tell you next came from a report that was filed by Chris. At this point, Chris claims that he felt his life was in danger. Based on his training, the fact that Patrick attempted to flee and resist arrest, to him, meant that there was possibly some kind of outstanding warrants or that he was currently involved in some kind of criminal activity, and obviously he was trying to avoid being taken into custody. 
Patrick made it about 30 feet from the car before Chris caught up to him and tackled him to the ground. There was some sort of physical altercation that occurred, and Chris can be heard yelling out things such as, stop fighting and stop resisting. Chris deployed his taser twice during this altercation. So now at this point, both men are on the ground and somehow Patrick was able to gain full control of Chris's taser. Chris made numerous demands that Patrick drop the taser while trying to gain back control of the situation. And it got to the point where Chris was able to get the upper hand. Patrick was on the ground on his hands and knees with Chris on his back. And from my understanding, Patrick still had the taser. At that point, Chris pulls out his firearm and he shoots Patrick in the back of the head. A few other things were at play here, so I do want to make mention of those. First off, Chris was not the only officer on the scene. There were a couple others, including at least one supervisor. And also, after Patrick was shot, it took about eight minutes before they went to try to render aid to him. Now, that may not sound like a long time, but in an emergency situation, eight minutes is a lifetime. When officers did get to Patrick, they flipped him over to start chest compressions, and Officer Schur's body cam was found under Patrick's body. The reason for the delay is that the officers were dealing with the person that was in the passenger seat of Patrick's car. Officers thought that this woman was possibly intoxicated, and she was being unresponsive to their commands. I'm not sure if this is because she had literally just saw Patrick get shot, or if she was also like this prior to that as well. But I mean, let's be completely honest, there was a lot happening from literally start to finish. So the identity of the passenger has not been released. A question I'm sure that everyone has right now is, Why did Patrick run? Like, immediately run. So at the time, Patrick had three outstanding warrants. One of them was in connection with a domestic violence case. Another warrant was for a failure to appear or pay. And the third was related to a property damage traffic crash that Patrick allegedly fled the scene of. Patrick's autopsy would also reveal that his blood alcohol content at the time was 0.29, which is almost three times the legal limit, which is 0.08. Patrick's license was also invalid. About a month prior to this, Patrick's license had been revoked because of his third substance abuse conviction in a 10-year time frame. Now, I, I know all of this sounds like a lot, but one of the arguments in this case is that it is very unlikely that Chris knew any of this at the time that Patrick fled. So based on police radio traffic reports, Chris notified dispatch that he had stopped a tan car around 8.11 a.m. And he mentioned that the mail was running from the traffic stop and no more than 75 seconds later, he's asking for more officers to be sent out to the scene. Four minutes after the initial stop, Chris was telling dispatch that he had been, quote, involved in a shooting, end quote. Four minutes. Four minutes from start to finish. 
It took double that time for them to even get him aid after this. Based on the information I just gave you, Kent County Prosecuting Attorney Christopher Becker decided to charge Chris with second-degree murder. He would explain his decision, saying, quote, The elements of second-degree murder are relatively simple. First, there was a death. A death done by the defendant. Then, when the killing occurred, the defendant had one of these three states of mind. An intent to kill an intent to do great bodily harm, or an intent to do an act that the natural tendency would be to cause death or great bodily harm, end quote. The attorney didn't believe that the killing of Patrick was justified, nor was it executed by self-defense. On the opposite side of this, Chris's lawyer said that this was in fact fully justified use of force. He was quoted as explaining the situation as such, quote, not murder, but an unfortunate tragedy resulting from a highly volatile situation, end quote. A statement from the Grand Rapids PD Association also agreed, and their statement read, quote, as tragic as this case is all the way around, we feel a thorough review of this entire situation will show that a police officer has the legal right to protect themselves and community in a volatile, dangerous situation such as this in order to return to his or her family at the end of their shift, end quote. The Grand Rapids Police Chief Eric Windstorm immediately recommended that Chris be suspended without pay pending termination. The final decision on Chris's employment would be made at a discharge hearing. However, Chris waived his right to that hearing, and so he was fired from the department. Chief Windstorm would verbally agree that the police department did need better training. Turns out, the chief had only been in his role for less than one month before Patrick was killed. Chris pled not guilty, and he went to his hearing via video conference. Inside the courtroom was packed with about 60 people, but there were even more people outside. Some of those people were in support of the officer, wearing blue shirts that said, hashtag, stand with sure. Others were outside protesting against the decision that the officer made to use deadly force. The judge would set bond for Chris at $100,000 with conditions in place upon his pretrial release, such as, Chris not being able to buy nor possess a firearm, and also no use of liquor or drugs. Patrick's family is being represented by civil rights lawyer Ben Crump, and he is demanding that the officer be prosecuted. Quote, Officer Schur must be held accountable for his decision to pursue an unarmed Patrick, ultimately shooting him in the back of the head and killing him, for nothing more than a traffic stop. End quote. Patrick's father spoke in the news conference, and one of the things that was pointed out is that if it wasn't for the fact that this was caught on the officer's body cam, then there would be no charge at all. If found guilty, Officer Chris could face up to life in prison. Seeing that this just happened a few months ago, there's still a full trial that's not yet happened, so I'll make sure to keep you guys updated as this story progresses. And like I mentioned before, 
I mean, this is my show. So, of course, I'm going to share my personal thoughts on this. I will say that I 100% agree that Patrick made some bad choices during this entire interaction. He is not without fault at all. He's not clear of any kind of wrongdoing. However, I do not believe that he deserved to be killed for his actions. Going back to a point I made earlier is that this entire thing from start to finish only lasted four minutes. And not just that, but the most important thing here is at the time when Patrick was shot, Patrick was literally laid on the ground. So like laying stomach down, face down on the ground, his hands and feet on the ground, and Officer Sure has his knee in Patrick's back. So there was no way Patrick was able to move. The police officer had gained full control of the situation prior to him even pulling out his gun and then pulling it out and immediately shooting. I do believe that the officer was scared because, again, he ran and had to chase him down. So, you know, I'm not a police officer, but I could see how that could be a very scary situation. But again, you're a police officer. You should be trained to handle situations like this. And to say that Patrick had his taser, okay, even if that was the case, again, at the time that Patrick was shot, he was face down, stomach down, hands down on the ground. How, even if he had the taser, he was in no way, shape or form able to use that taser at the time. And so at the time when Officer Chris took out his gun and shot Patrick in the head, Patrick was in no way a threat to the officer's safety. I believe that black men are automatically a greater cause of fear, whether knowingly or unknowingly for many people, not just police officers, but I think for a lot of people, black men are automatically seen as a threat. I mean, we've all heard the stories to where, you know, you see a black man walking down the street and you move across to the other side of the street. Um, I think sometimes just the presence of a black man, especially if it's a bigger black man or um, if they're a little bit larger, but I, I think that the presence of a black man in general sometimes is fearful to some. However, again, as a police officer, it is literally your job to make sure that that is not happening. You should be trained to not see color when it comes to situations like this, to not have an automatic fear. Um, because again, you can say what you want here, but I, I believe that if this were a white man, that white man would have been sitting in jail right now instead of in a coffin. It just baffles me. Like, so when I first, I've been at my job for about 10 years or so. I've been working at the job that I work now, work at now. And when I first started my job, I had to go through a three month training, three months in no way, shape or form. Can I choose if someone lives or dies? And so I just, I don't know. I, I believe that police officers are severely undertrained for a job where they literally have to play judge, jury, and executioner. Like I had more training. For, I have gone through more training in my job over the past 10 years than some police officers have gone through at all. They go through training. Yes, they go through classes. Yes. But a lot of their training and tactics 
Um, and a lot of how they view situations are based off of on-the-job training. To say that I feel like it was justified for Patrick to be shot? Absolutely not, because I feel like they were in a position to where Patrick could have been handcuffed and brought in alive versus being killed on the street. And again, based on the pictures that I've seen, there was no way that that the officer was in any danger at the time that Patrick was shot. Plus, again, Chris was not the only officer there. And so I get that, you know, there were there was also a situation with the passenger. But again, from my understanding, there were multiple police officers there. And so the passenger could have taken attention away from some. But the video I saw, Chris was the only one that was physically with Patrick at the time. So those are just my thoughts on it. But like I said, I'll make sure as um, updates come in the case, I'll make sure to mention those um, throughout the other stories and keep you guys updated on, on how this goes. Let me know your thoughts on this one. Hit me up on the Season Crime IG page and tell me if you feel like this was justified or not. If you do watch the video, let me know if you got anything more from the video than I was able to get from my written research. While you're at it, don't forget to rate and subscribe to the show and also leave your comments. I did mention earlier that I am in the process of moving um, this week, and so I'm moving about 35 minutes away from where I currently stay, so it is legit a full-on move for me. And for those of you who don't know me personally, uh, I'm a Scorpio, and I feel like I do my best work under pressure, which means that I am top of the line, grade A procrastinator. So I'm not even going to lie to you guys. I can't guarantee that I'll have an episode out next week, but I am going to tell you that I am going to try my best to do so. I have an idea on adding another element to this show, and next week would be the perfect time for me to be able to do so. So if I can get that out for you guys, I really will. But either way, whether it be next week or the following week, I will be back very soon to tell you another story about a minority. Have a great week, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Season Crime. Today's episode was researched, edited, and recorded by your host, Jasmine Nicole.